Am I on? Yes, I am. Thank you, Ben, and uh, bless you, Mary. Mary came to me this morning and just wanted us to know as a church family that it was her birthday, so her birthday. So thank you, Ben, for praying for her. My name is Ron Gartley, for those that are new. Um, I'm an elder here now and a former pastor some 14 years ago. I'm sorry. I was mean. I know I hurt you. Please forgive me. Do you find words like these easy to say? Perhaps not. It's more natural to try to explain our behavior so that it might be understood and excused. Rather than accept responsibility, our natural tendency is to shift the blame. And we come by this naturally, don't we? It was inherited from Adam and Eve. Do you remember what Adam did when God confronted him when he ate the forbidden fruit? The woman you gave me. She gave it to me. She is responsible. And what did Eve do? Wow, she pointed her finger at the serpent. Serpent. Serpent tricked me. Serpent's responsible. So we are naturally prone to excuse our behavior and shift the blame. I acted that way because I was tired. I mistreated you because I'm under so much stress. If you knew my situation, you would understand me and excuse me. We can become more concerned about being understood than taking responsibility for our actions and asking for forgiveness. Now this morning I would <clears throat> like to consider the subject of forgiveness from the other side. Not only may it be hard for us to accept responsibility for our behavior and to ask for forgiveness, it is perhaps even more difficult for us to forgive when someone has wronged or offended or hurt us. For example, <clears throat> how does one forgive the pain and suffering which one has experienced, say, at the hands of an abusive alcoholic parent or spouse, a husband or wife who cheats on their partner, a brother or sister who is always stealing the limelight, a bully at school or in the workplace or even in the church, a friend who betrayed a confidence, a fellow church goer who spread gossip, gossip about you. Now, you might not be able to identify with any of these scenarios. However, I'm sure that most of us can think of ways in which we have been hurt and people whom we may be finding it hard to forgive. Before we came to Tabor, we served a church in Calgary for almost 17 years. And about three years into our ministry, 
We received an anonymous note which asked several questions. How long are you planning on staying in Calgary? Are you settling in for another long stay in spite of your congregation's feelings? Do you not see the dissatisfaction? Have you not noticed that some have left and others are thinking of it too? Do you think you are the only one that can help them build this church? Is the city a nice place to settle into? Is it nice to get a good salary, even though the church is running in the red? Do they need someone with less children so they don't feel so obligated to pay such a salary? Just why are you insisting on staying so long? Is it for the good of you or the congregation? The insinuations and the accusations were unkind and hurtful and unjust, especially so when eventually we realized that they came from a family with whom we had special outings and whom we thought were close friends. Yes, forgiveness can be difficult. It can be difficult for several reasons. I might not feel like forgiving. And if I don't feel like it, wouldn't I be a hypocrite if I did? Forgiveness might be difficult because I desire revenge. That person should pay for what they have done to me. And to to forgive them might not seem fair. We may feel that that person really does not deserve to be forgiven. And I would suggest that perhaps the biggest reason that we may find it difficult to forgive is that we may lack an appreciation for the magnitude of God's gracious forgiveness. Now, it's also possible that we might be finding it hard to forgive because we have a mistaken idea about what it means to forgive. It is important to recognize what forgiveness is not. And here are several things that forgiveness is not. To forgive doesn't mean that you pretend that you were not hurt. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you will forget what happened to you. Forgiveness does not mean that you excuse sinful behavior. It was not right. It was not good. It was sin. Nor is it relieving the person of their responsibility for what they did. That might not mean removing the consequences of sin. And it's not inviting or accepting further abuse from the individuals. And it may not be having to trust the person. That might take time. But what exactly is forgiveness? I'd like to highlight two New Testament words which are translated forgive in our English Bibles. Their meaning will enable us to better appreciate the nature of forgiveness. The first word is aphiemi. It is the most common 
And it occurs some 50 times in the New Testament. And it simply means to send away, to let go, to give up a debt by not requiring that it be paid. There's a statement in the Psalms which vividly demonstrates this meaning. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives us, our sin is sent away. It is a debt we are no longer required to pay. I found this definition of forgiveness on the All About God website. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. The hurt which I have suffered is a debt which I no lo- for which I no longer demand payment. <clears throat> I let it go. I send it away. When you forgive, you no longer hold that person accountable to you. And since you no longer take on the responsibility of holding that person accountable to you, in a sense, you're set free from that assignment. And it's important to recognize that forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. You don't try to create a feeling. You make a decision to forgive. The second word is charizomai. It occurs only about ten times in the New Testament with reference to forgiveness. It is related to the word charis. Now, the word charis is translated grace. It's not used as frequently, but it is rich in its significance. I'm sure you know that the word grace represents God's kindness, God's favor extended toward us, though we don't deserve it. This word, therefore, represents forgiveness as a gift, as a favor, as a kindness that is given, that is not deserved. And that is why forgiveness, in the words of Philip Yancey, is an unnatural act. It's an act of giving, which is neither earned nor deserved. And is this not exactly what we experience when we receive God's forgiveness? Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. The awesome nature of God's forgiveness is that it focuses on both my sin and me. With reference to by sin, my sin is dismissed. It's sent away. And with reference to me, I am released. I am set free from the obligation to pay that debt for my sin. You see, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He suffered so that we might be released from the obligation to pay the penalty for sin. The forgiveness that we receive from God is neither earned nor deserved. It's a gift of God's grace. And just as in Christ, God forgave us, we are taught to forgive one another. That's what forgiveness is. It's the decision to cancel the debt. It's choosing to no longer bring up the past 
against that person. It's choosing not to hold their conduct against them. Now, again, forgiveness may not be easy, especially if the hurt is deep and especially grievous. It may take time for us to process. Now, this morning I would like to ask two more questions. Why should I forgive? And how can I nurture a forgiving heart? And you will notice, as we go through these two questions, that the answers to the why question will be similar to or will anticipate the answers to the how question. So first of all, the why question. Why should Christians be forgiving people? Why should I forgive those who hurt me? And one reason that we forgive is the reality that God has forgiven us. Jesus emphasized this truth in the following parable. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors had brought, was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his masters ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, then I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave him his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Please be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The point of the parable is obvious. The king had had mercy on the servant and forgave his debt. Therefore, the servant should have had mercy on his servant and forgiven his debt. If we have believed in Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord, God has had mercy on us and has forgiven us our debt of sin. Therefore, we should have mercy on those who have hurt or offended us. Another reason to forgive is because it's a matter of discipleship and obedience. It's what God requires of his children. Just before Jesus spoke that parable, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. 
or up to seven times? Jesus answered, I will tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Gary Enrig, in his book, Forgiveness, suggests there's a good reason to believe that Jesus has Genesis chapter 4 and verses 23 to 24 in mind, and that he was intending a direct contrast with the infamous song of Lamech, who boasts, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. If that indeed is the case, the point Jesus is making, that whereas an unrighteous person, an unbeliever, can be characterized by merciless revenge, a follower of Jesus is to be characterized by gracious and generous forgiveness. As followers of Jesus, we are to be forgiving people because God has forgiven us and because he has required us to forgive. I would suggest one more reason to forgive, and that's because of what it will do for me. Now, you probably have heard of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and I think a couple of other places in the States. I find it very interesting that on their website, they make the following observations. By embracing forgiveness, you can embrace peace, hope, gratitude, and joy. Forgiveness brings a kind of peace that helps you go on with life. Letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for happiness, health, and peace. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, greater spiritual and psychological well-being, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, stronger immune system, improved heart health. End of quote. Found that fascinating. That, that would be found on that website. I believe that it supports the fact that to live life as God intended us to do is best for you and for others. And certainly, that's true of forgiveness. All right, the next question. How? How can I cultivate a forgiving disposition? How can I nurture a forgiving heart? As I said moments ago, our answers to the how question will be similar to or will have anticipated our answers to the why question. First, it is important to recognize what an unforgiving spirit can do to me personally. We read at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is a poison which can affect your own physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. Symptoms, as we noted, such as ulcers, high blood pressure, anxiety, depression, have all been traced to an unforgiving spirit. But also... Bitterness and holding grudges can affect your relationships with people who are not the ones who have hurt you, who are not the offenders. 
As the writer to the Hebrews observes, bitterness can cause trouble and defile many. Your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, your church family. It is also ironic that in withholding forgiveness, we may hurt ourselves more than the person against whom we are holding a grudge, the person we refuse to forgive. Very often, the person against whom we are holding a grudge is oblivious of our feelings. They don't even know or care about how we feel. I've shared this before, but sometime, some long time ago, I came across a statement that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And then, furthermore, when we don't forgive, we actually become emotionally bound to that person, and that ill will can consume us. It's only forgiveness that will set us free from such emotional bondage. Holding a grudge will tie you to the past. Now, again, forgiveness does not necessarily mean that the pain and the hurt are eliminated. Genuine forgiveness acknowledges the pain and the hurt. We pay the price for the evil we forgive, and that might include living with the consequences of sin. But the truth is we actually have two choices. We, have, we will live with the consequences of sin either way, but our choice is to live with the consequence of another person's sin in the bitterness of an unforgiving spirit or to live with the consequences of another person's sin in the freedom of forgiveness. So it's important to recognize what an unforgiving spirit can do to me personally and to those around me who are not part of the hurt. And then secondly... I must learn to let God be God. And what I mean is described by Paul in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, But leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And the chapter concludes with the words, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, withholding forgiveness is a subtle way of attempting to punish or get even with the person who has wronged me. And I must recognize that in the end, it's God who will set the record straight, and that the person who hurt me is ultimately accountable to God. In their book, Child Sexual Abuse, Maxine Hancock and Karen Main say, when we forgive, we transfer the case to a higher court. We give up all claims to punish, to exact a penalty for the offense. When we don't forgive, we demand an accounting But in doing so, we take upon us a prerogative, which is God's alone. So 
but we need to let God be God. And then we need to recognize that forgiveness is a matter of obedience. Forgiving when I don't feel like it is not hypocritical. It's being obedient. See again, forgiving is not having a feeling. It's making a decision. In Ephesians and Colossians, we have very clear instructions. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is not a matter of feelings. Forgiveness is a choice of the will. You don't wait until you feel like it. You don't pray, God, help me to feel like forgiving, and then I will forgive. No, you pray, Lord, by your grace, I choose to forgive. So being a forgiving person for a follower of Jesus is not an option. It's a matter of obedience. It's how I can honor our God and Savior. And then fourth, finally, and perhaps most important, we need to grow in our appreciation of God's forgiveness of us. Let us learn to appreciate, to celebrate, to delight in God's gracious, generous forgiveness. I love the way Paul puts it in Ephesians. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in, the, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And to the Colossian believers, he writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. This is the best way in which we can nurture a forgiving disposition by taking time to reflect on and delight in and celebrate God's gracious and generous forgiveness of us. When you have been hurt deeply, it's only forgiveness that will free you from the person who has hurt you and thereby open the door for God to begin the healing process within you. And one final word. When tempted to refuse forgiveness because it isn't deserved, remember to ask, your, ask the question, where would I be if God gave me what I deserve? I put together a prayer in response to our reflection on forgiveness 
And I'm going to read it first. And then, after I've read it, I will invite you to stand with me and read it together. So first of all, I will read it. Father in heaven, thank you for your gracious and generous forgiveness. Thank you for loving me in ways I'll never fully comprehend. Forgive me for hurting others by my behavior and lack of forgiveness. Today I have gained a better understanding of what it means to forgive, and by your grace, I fully forgive those who have hurt me. Just as you have freely forgiven me, I forgive. This I pray in the precious name of Jesus, by whom all forgiveness and healing is made possible. Let us stand together. I invite you to read this together with me. But before we do, just take a brief moment to think about a person or persons that you might be struggling with forgiveness. And may this be the prayer where you say, yes, Lord, I forgive as you have forgiven me. Let's read it together. Father in heaven, Thank you for your gracious and generous forgiveness. Thank you for loving me in ways I'll never fully comprehend. Forgive me for hurting others by my behavior and lack of forgiveness. Today, I have gained a better understanding of what it means to forgive. And by your grace, I fully forgive those who have hurt me. Just as you have freely forgiven me, I forgive. This I pray in the precious name of Jesus, by whom all forgiveness and healing is made possible. Amen. And the worship team will come and lead us in our concluding song, and then I'll come and share a benediction. All right, let's sing.